Yo, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 62 of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. Guys, we have some pretty interesting college football recruiting news to talk about. TCU is finally upping the ante when it comes to recruiting kids out of high school. We will talk about a couple NFL news. And former Dallas Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett will actually now be on primetime television for Sunday Night Football. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then we'll finish off the episode talking about Notre Dame knocking off number one Tennessee. And as a lot of people have been calling Tennessee's baseball program this season, as regarded as one of the greatest college baseball teams in history. So we will discuss that towards the the end of today's episode. But anyway, guys, as always, before we do begin today's episode, please make sure that you are following the official Instagram and TikTok of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast at Cover 7 with Mason Pierce on both of those platforms. And guys, I hope you all had an amazing weekend. I know I definitely had. I was able to go watch a couple of baseball games and just... You know, relax while, you know, even though it's 100 degrees right now down here in Texas. And, oh, man, it's just a little bit too warm for my liking. But nothing less, I do live in Texas, and I have to expect it to be absolutely hot and humid constantly. But anyway, guys, let's get right into today's episode. And the first news that I want to talk about for today's episode is regarding 2024 five-star quarterback C.J. Carr. Now, C.J. Carr, he's actually the grandson of legendary Michigan football head coach Lloyd Carr and is also the son of former Michigan quarterback Jason Carr. So, obviously, Michigan runs in that family. It's literally in his blood that, you know, it pretty much seemed inevitable that he would commit to Michigan. But actually, C.J. kind of did stray off the normal path in his family because after having multiple visits at Notre Dame, CJ was noted saying in an interview to ESPN that he kind of already told his family since last spring that he was going to end up committing to Notre Dame. He just loved the environment and loved what they had to offer. And probably a big factor in this is the fact that Marcus Freeman, who has done so amazing for Notre Dame since taking over about a couple months ago when Brian Kelly left for LSU, I mean, he's he's currently right now, Notre Dame has the number one 2023 recruiting class, and they're looking to add on to it in the 2024 class. And, you know, they just continue. I mean, it's, it's really impressive to see how just a short period of time, how much of an impact Marcus Freeman has had on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But anyways, besides the fact, CJ actually announced his commitment just a few days ago on June 9th, and he announced that he would be joining the Notre Dame Fighting Irish over Michigan. So this probably stung his family a little bit considering the fact his grandfather was Lloyd Carr and his father also played quarterback at Michigan. So probably stung them a little bit, but this is a huge get for Marcus Freeman as he possibly just got his quarterback of the future in C.J. Carr once he joins the Fighting Irish in 2024. I mean, they will have to wait a couple seasons to get him, but nothing less a huge pickup for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. One last thing about his commitment, even his grandfather Lloyd was actually happy the fact that he went to Notre Dame. He was quoted saying, he loves it. We got him a Notre Dame shirt and he loves Coach Tommy Reese and Coach Freeman and the things we've told him, he's really happy. I got my dad a shirt that says Notre Dame Dad, but my grandpa's is just a Notre Dame shirt. So it's cool to see that despite you know Notre Dame and Michigan having a decent sized rivalry that they can unite and be happy for the fact that he is making a huge step in going to Notre Dame and 
I'm kind of glad because I think he will be in better hands going to Notre Dame at the simple fact that I like what Tommy Reese is doing with the Notre Dame offense and Marcus Freeman as a recruiter is doing an amazing job and we could possibly see Notre Dame revitalize and be able to make that strong push in the postseason that they haven't been able to make since Brian Kelly took over you know years and years ago but and I just really hope for Notre Dame's sake that they can get rid of that stereotype of, oh, when it comes to New York Six Bowl games or when it comes to the national championship or college football playoff, they'll never win a game. And there's no point in, put them in putting them into that game because it's just going to be a guaranteed win for the team that they're playing. So hopefully, like I said, Marcus Freeman can turn around that program, but nothing less. Notre Dame got an absolute juggernaut of a quarterback in 2024, five-star quarterback C.J. Carr. Now, the next news I want to talk about is regarding four-star defensive lineman Avion Carter out of Amarillo, Texas. Now, Avion brings a lot of size to whatever team he joins as he is six foot four, 240 pounds as a um, junior going into his senior year. So definitely a lot of schools were looking after him. Now, Avion, he actually decided to narrow down his list to TCU, Texas Tech, Texas, and Oklahoma State. So he wanted to stay pretty close to home, and he decided those would be his final four schools that he would have to narrow down to. Now, on June 12th, a.k.a. Sunday, he officially made his announcement about what school he would be joining. And drumroll, please, do, 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 do. he announced that he would be joining Sonny Dykes and the TCU Horn Frogs. And as a personal TCU fan, I am super hyped at the fact that Sonny Dykes is revitalizing the whole recruiting like style that TCU does. Because Gary Patterson is an amazing recruiter. Don't get me wrong. Guys want to play for Gary simply for the fact that he's an amazing coach. But I like what Sonny Dykes is doing by intriguing these guys to come play for him down in Fort Worth versus possibly going to SMU, Texas, Texas Tech, whatever you might have it. A lot of these kids are you know, kind of deciding, hey, I don't want to go to Texas. I want to go to TCU. I have a lot more opportunity here. And I could possibly ball out enough here that I wouldn't be able to do down at, down at UT or Oklahoma State, Oklahoma Tech or whatever you might have it. Now this commitment from Avion it actually puts TCU at the number 15th recruiting class in the country in the country sorry I don't know what country was but in the country for um, 2023. Now Texas Tech is start, uh, currently still top I think five I want to say in the 2023 cycle but that is due in fact that they have already had over 20 commitments so don't expect you know Tech to probably hold that position a lot longer if they're not able to get, you know, five stars or four stars or whatever you might have it. Tech will still have a very strong recruiting class, but they have so many, like, three stars committing. I think they have, like, 17 or something three stars committing, which, once again, stars don't always matter. It's what you put out on the field that matters. So, once again, stars really do not matter because we've seen a lot of NFL studs be literally zero stars, one stars, or whatever you might have it. But, Anyway, this is a huge commitment for TCU as the defensive line has kind of been a weak point for the Horned Frogs and they really haven't been able to get any high star recruits in these past couple years and now they've got Avion and, they, and they're getting a couple guys in the 2022 class. It's really huge because they might be able to completely do a 360 with their defense and they won't be known for kind of having a weak defense any, anymore even when Gary Patterson was here his final couple years as the head coach of the Horn Frogs but nothing less four-star defensive lineman Avion Carter has committed to TCU as this now puts TCU's 2023 recruiting class as 15th in the whole country now the next college football news that I want to talk about is regarding the Big 12 and the big additions that they will be adding in 2023. Now it was officially announced this past weekend that the American Athletic Conference would allow Houston, 
UCF and Cincinnati to agree to probably a buyout with the conference and would officially allow them to leave the conference after this upcoming season, aka the 2022 to 2023 academic year. So what this means is that BYU, who had already announced a while back that they would be officially joining the Big 12 in 2023, this this now allows Houston and UCF and Cincinnati to officially join the Big 12 in 2023. So there's no more questions. There's no more uncertainty. It is official. Those four schools will be joining the Big 12 after this upcoming year. So once baseball season is done, once all the other, you know, pretty much just once this school year is over with for this upcoming se- this upcoming year, we will see a whole new version of the Big 12. And another question that kind of arose when this was confirmed was what's going to happen with Texas and Oklahoma while they are still in the Big 12 before they make their move over to the SEC and, you know, they still have about two to three years left on their contract with the Big 12 for their TV rights. Well, a lot of people are speculating on the fact that they might play one season maybe with these four teams coming and then after that they'll buy their way out. Or a lot of people are also speculating the fact that they might just simply buy their way out here pretty soon and just immediately go to the SEC in 2023. Obviously, they can't this season as the schedules have already been made and they are 100% official, so they can't be changed. But I do expect probably Texas and OU to not last past this season or past these next two seasons because simply they are going to want to get the money that comes from being in the SEC and they know how much money they will be able to provide to the SEC and how much they will get back in return. And there's no point in staying in a conference where you're kind of shortballing yourself. And I mean, it might hurt, you know, losing 17 million, but when you get 35, 40 million back, you're going to have a huge amount of profit just by getting rid of one to two years of not really earning that much, still being in the Big 12. Now, the Big 12 will be fine without Texas and Oklahoma, in my opinion, despite the fact that they will probably be looked at more as a, as a, a group of five conference now, but. They will still be a Power 5 school. Big 12 is still stacked. Cincinnati's probably going to be still pretty solid. BYU, they're always weirdly solid, but they always lose a couple weird games. UCF with Gus Malzahn, they are looking very promising with a couple transfer portal acquisitions from this offseason. And then you also have Houston, who's currently being coached by former West Virginia head coach Dana Holgerson, as they are also doing pretty solid when it comes to um, recruiting as well. So it'll be really interesting to see these four teams playing in the Big 12 in 2023. I know I look forward to possibly seeing Cincinnati or BYU or UCF come to Fort Worth and being able to watch those games because normally you won't be able to watch those teams play unless it's a bowl game nearby you or if you travel all the way out there to watch them. So I'm really excited for the future of college football and most specifically the Big 12 and I'm also excited for the SEC when I see or when we all see Texas and OU join them whether it is 2025 or 2024 or 2023 which we don't know exactly yet but my betting odds probably would be that 2024 would be the target year for them as they might play this well they they obviously have to play this season but they also might play one year with the new I think it would be Big 14. So, anyway, it'll be really cool just to see all these teams in one, you know, one league for a year until the other two end up leaving to go join another conference. And once again, I'm still excited to see A&M and Texas play because it's being reported that the first matchup will probably end up taking place at Kyle Field and College Station. So, it won't be a home game for UT fans. It, they, you know, they're going to have to drive all the way back up to College Station and watch their Longhorns take on the Aggies and. You know, both programs are in a whole different era. The Jimbo Fisher era, a.k.a. being able to recruit whatever five-star you want and still not being able to make it to the SEC championship. But 
once again, A&M fans, not, you know, y'all still do have a lot of promise with y'all's football, pr- football program going forward as y'all are coming off a recruiting class that is known as the greatest recruiting class of all time in college football. And then on the other side, you have Texas who had one of the greatest transfer portal classes we'd ever seen getting, you know, five-star quarterback in Quinn Ewers from Ohio State. They went out and got, and in my opinion, a really underrated transfer portal acquisition in Isaiah Nayer, the former uh, Wyoming wide receiver. And then they had a couple others. So do not count out a lot of, you know, do not count out both of these programs to possibly, you know, kind of revitalize their football teams. But, you know, don't have too ungodly expectations because, once again, Every year that we've had these expectations that A&M and Texas will absolutely do amazing, they end up going 6-6 six and six or 8-4, and four, which I know A&M football fans are probably tired of hearing everyone say they're, you know, 8-4, Texas 8-4 and four instead of A&M, which has kind of been a joke going for a while now. But it will be really interesting to see kind of just these new conferences. I mean, even the Sun Belt, the, C, the Confer- uh, Conference USA, they're all, you know, having new teams in 2023 so college football will literally completely change once that season comes so this last season might be the final year that we kind of have some normalcy left in the college football era but anyway the last topic i do want to talk about for today's um college football segment is actually regarding the outback bowl now the outback bowl it normally it normally hosts a Big 12 opponent that takes on an SEC opponent. This past season, we saw Penn State and Arkansas play. Arkansas ended up winning that game, and you know they normally had some pretty entertaining matchups. I know my personal favorite Outback Bowl game of all time was, I think back in 2012 when Michigan took on South Carolina, and that was kind of the game where Jadavion Clowney had that um, that huge hit on the running back that knocked his helmet off like five yards behind him, and then he ended up picking the fumble up himself. So. That kind of, I remember that play specifically because that drove my attention, that kind of drove my attraction to college football a lot because I'm like, okay, this is really cool. I think I could, I think I would love to see this on a week to week basis. And that's exactly what I've gotten since becoming a college football fan. But anyway, you know, that bowl game is pretty much for as long as a lot of us can remember, it's been called the Outback Bowl, you know, sponsored by Outback Steakhouse. Well, it won't be called the Outback Bowl anymore. So apparently, you know, Outback decided, you know, we're not going to renew the contract for the bowl game and we're just going to let someone else replace the name. And the new name that the Outback Bowl is actually getting, it is called the ReliaQuest Bowl. So ReliaQuest is a global cybersecurity company that is that is based in Tampa Bay, which makes sense why they would want to sponsor a Tampa Bay-based game. Now, once people had heard that the Outback Bowl would not be called the Outback Bowl anymore, people figured they were just going to call it the Tampa Bay Bowl because it is played at Raymond James Stadium in um, Tampa Bay, but ReliaQuest decided to swoop right in, and they will officially be the new title sponsor for the Outback Bowl. So yes, the Outback Bowl won't be called the Outback Bowl anymore, and this is the first time it won't be called that since 1996. So it definitely will take some time to get used to. But anyway, guys, that is it for today's college football segment. I hope y'all definitely enjoyed, you know, hearing about the fact that the Outback Bowl. It's not going to be the Outback Bowl anymore. It's still just weird to say, you know, the ReliaQuest Bowl. Because, I mean, the Outback Bowl is one of the more notorious bowl games in college football history. I mean, it's a New, it's a New Year's Day bowl game. And it's always they've always had a lot of very entertaining matchups to watch. But anyway, guys, let's head over to our NFL segment of today's episode. And the Las Vegas Raiders, they decided to keep making some pretty decent moves now this one isn't necessarily a move but it's a contract extension that will definitely keep that high-powered Las Vegas Raiders offense intact now this is regarding 
uh, Raiders former fifth round pick back in 2019, Hunter Renfro. Now, Hunter Renfro, I've absolutely been super high on, even when he was coming out of Clemson, because he was one of the best slot wide receivers in all of college football during his time with the Tigers. And I knew the second he stepped into the NFL that he was going to be something special. Now, despite not getting to a Pro Bowl his first couple of years, this past season after he had, I think it was roughly about 103 receptions which is the second highest single season total by a receiver in Raiders history, only trailing with 104 receptions by Hall of Famer Tim Brown back in 97. So he's in some very elite company. And like this, like I said, this past season, he was just announced that he would be going to the Pro Bowl. And it was really a huge accomplishment for a guy that's always been looked at as an underdog throughout his whole football career. Now, over his career with the Raiders, Hunter Renfro has caught 208 passes for 2,200 yards and 15 touchdowns. So pretty decent stats for a guy that mainly plays at the slot wide receiver position. And I mean, a lot of people can kind of compare him and I would personally compare him to uh, Los Angeles Rams star wide receiver Cooper Cup who just won offensive player of the year for the Rams last season now obviously he doesn't have the same production but is definitely a super talented kid that can kind of play wherever you need him on the field especially on that offense that the Raiders will definitely be kind of become a little bit more flexible with if you want to say they went out and got Zamir White out of Georgia who is going to be a very very elusive back is possibly looking to be the replacement for Josh Jacobs due to just injury concerns anyways the Las Vegas Raiders signed Hunter Renfro to a two-year 32 million dollar extension so at least keeping him in Las Vegas for the next three seasons as this season he will play on his final year of his rookie contract so this is a very good signing for the Las Vegas Raiders as he's pretty much a cheaper version of Cooper Cup as like once again he can play any wide receiver position you need him on the field and I mean, he's just a very underrated wide receiver and I'm glad he's finally getting that payday that he was bound to get you know sooner or later and the fact that the Raiders only signed him for 16 million a season is not bad at all I mean a lot of these receivers are asking for I mean almost quarterback money and the fact that Cooper Cup took a little bit less is very huge of him as it will allow the um, Raiders to continue to make some key additions I mean they went out and got my goodness they got the number one wide receiver in the NFL and Devontae Adams to team him up with his former Fresno State teammate Derek Carr and they went out and also gave Derek Carr a contract extension and also gave Devontae Adams an extension so this Las Vegas Raiders offense is going to be very elite for these next couple of years at least if they all can stay healthy and playing at the same time now the next news that I want to talk about in the NFL segment of today's episode is going to be regarding um, Seattle Seahawks running back Chris Carson. Now, Chris Carson, unfortunately, last season in week four, suffered a very serious neck injury and was immediately you know, announced that he would not be playing the rest of the year. And during an interview last week, head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, kind of indicated that Chris Carson's career could be in some major jeopardy due to this neck injury. Now, now, this is all quoted, our guys love this game that they grow up playing, and when they sense that there may be an end to it, it's hard, it's difficult, and it's real, um, Carroll said to the Seattle Times, and then also would go on to say, and we're going to love him through it and help him as much as possible. If that's the case, like we do with everybody when it comes to the end of it, it's inevitable, it's coming, but it's always too soon, so we're trying to fight that off. Now, Chris Carson is only 27 years old, still very young, and apparently the injury that he has in his neck is a, is a disc issue that needs to be fused. 
whatever that might be. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't really know too, too much about the human body when it comes to certain injuries, especially parts in the neck. But I do know that is very serious. And unfortunately, like we saw with Cam Chancellor, the Seattle Seahawks, legendary safety, a huge part of the Legion of Boom that featured Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman. You know, he his career ended up being cut way too short due to neck injuries and head injuries. And, I mean, it's a smart move because there's no reason to risk the rest of your life just to have another five years of prominence in the NFL. And I'm glad that, you know, hopefully Chris decides to make the right decision when it comes to his future in life, whether it is staying in the NFL or possibly pursuing another career. And the whole Chris situation, make it gives a lot more light to the reason why the Seattle Seahawks went out and drafted former Michigan State running back Kenneth Walker in the second round. I mean, despite them already having Rashad Penny, you know, also having a couple other running backs, it now makes sense why they possibly could be looking at Kenneth Walker to be the future at running back if Chris Carson does decide to retire due to this neck injury. So prayers and everything to Chris Carson. Hopefully he does make a recovery because I loved watching him at Oklahoma State. I remember watching him when TCU played Oklahoma State in Fort Worth back in 2016 when Mason Rudolph was a starting quarterback for the Cowboys. They still had James Washington. And that offense was so electric. I mean, that has got to be one of the more underrated offenses in college football history. And just Chris Carson was just so unbearably – you. You just could not stop him no matter what. Like, it could be a two-yard run that would end up being a 36-yard run because you just could not tackle him. So, nothing less. I do hope, Chris, that you are able to make a recovery and eventually get back to playing at a high level. Or if you decide to push another career, I mean, we'll all support you for it. So, anyway, prayers to Chris Carson regarding his injury. But let's actually get to some more, I guess you could say, light news and this topic is actually about NBC's Football Night in America cast. Now, as we all know, Drew Brees officially announced he would be stepping down from Football Night in America as an analyst. NBC would even go on later to confirm that Drew Brees would no longer be working at NBC. So that left a huge gap in that pregame slash postgame show that needed to be fulfilled. And they were looking all around to find someone who could possibly fulfill that position. And they actually went and got former Dallas Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett to fulfill that role of Drew Brees on NBC's NFL pregame show, Football Night in America. And I actually kind of like this. Jason Garrett, he does have a little bit of a personality. I know when you see him on the sidelines, especially when he was coaching, he didn't really. But I do think that this is a great hire for NBC, considering the fact that they didn't really know who to hire. Because it really seemed like every single NFL broadcasting crew, whether it was NBC, Fox, ESPN, they were kind of just swapping people in and out. And it left a lot of positions and major positions that needed to be fulfilled for these companies. So NBC went out and got former Dallas Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett to fulfill that role that once was Drew Brees. Now, anyway, guys, the next news that I do want to talk about is regarding current Miami Dolphins wide receiver and former Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill. And some comments that he made about regarding both of his two quarterbacks that he's played with during his NFL career, Patrick Mahomes and Tua Tagovailoa. Now, in case you don't know, Tyreek was part of a blockbuster deal this offseason that sent him to Miami from Kansas City. And apparently he's been loving Tua Tagovailoa a lot. And a lot of the aspects that Tua brings to the game, apparently Tyreek likes a little bit more than Patrick Mahomes. Now, Tyreek went on to the podcast called It Needed to Be Said, and he made a few comments when asked about which quarterback he felt was more accurate, Patrick Mahomes or Tua Tagovailoa. 
Now, this wasn't necessarily a cheap shot, but it definitely did kind of hurt a lot of Chiefs fans because it felt like he really did enjoy his time up there in Kansas City and believed in Patrick Mahomes. But also, these comments that he did make weren't really wrong. Now, Tyreek Hill said that when a quarterback throws him the football, he likes the football to be right in the breadbasket, a.k.a. meaning that he doesn't have to necessarily run 15 yards across, you know, sideline to sideline to go get the football. And he says that Tua Tagovailoa, you know, fit that a lot more because of a beautiful spiral that he has, and he can literally put it wherever he wants. Now, obviously, Patrick Mahomes can do exactly that, but we do know Patrick Mahomes is a lot more notable for literally just chunking the ball up to Tyreek or Travis Kelsey, and, you know, they'll end up running to the ball, getting it, and then going and scoring a touchdown. And, you know, Tyreek also went on to say that, you know, Tua does have his faults, too. He does make a lot of dumb decisions and everything like that. He didn't say dumb decisions, but, you know, he does have his faults as well. And with these claims, he's not really wrong because technically in 2021, Tua was a more accurate passer than Mahomes because in almost every statistical category that determines accuracy based off a throw, Tua is currently leading Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it might be only by 1% to 2%, but technically he is leading him. But we all know that Patrick Mahomes overall is the better quarterback, even Tyreek Hill. I mean, he won't admit it, but Tyreek knows it too. But I just think it's kind of weird the fact that Patrick Mahomes absolutely fit what Tyreek, you know, as a receiver is, a speedster who needs someone to be able to throw the ball literally 70 yards on the dime, and that's exactly what Patrick Mahomes did for Tyreek Hill throughout his whole Kansas City tenure, and I mean, Tua obviously has a lot of room to grow, it largely due in fact for a lot of the reasons why it kind of seemed like Tua wasn't that great of a quarterback, is due in fact that his offensive line throughout his whole tenure with the Miami Dolphins so far has been pretty bad, I mean, they haven't really been able to give him enough time to be able to throw the ball. And Tua Tagovailoa is not known really much as a um, scrambler. He's known more as a pocket passer quarterback. And with the Miami Dolphins going out and trying to upgrade, you know, the O-line position, going and getting all-pro linemen from the New Orleans Saints, Terrence Armstrong, that's definitely a right step in, you know, in the future. And it kind of does show a lot more confidence that the Miami Dolphins have in um to attack of Iloa to make those improvements that he needs to make this year. This really is a make-it-or-break-it year for Tua. You know, we've given him a lot of excuses. We've given him a lot of time. And if he really doesn't, you know, succeed this year, whether it is his accuracy or being able to throw the deep ball, I mean, it might be time for the Dolphins to move on and find another option. But Tyreek Hill says that, I mean, this is according to Tyreek, and obviously he's going to have his quarter, quarterbacks back. I mean, that's what any good teammate would do. He believes a lot in what Tua, you know, brings to the table, and that's another reason besides, you know, the huge amount of money that he got, you know, why he went to Miami versus going to New York or any other team that was willing to pay a huge amount to get him. So anyway, Tyreek Hill kind of did take a shot at Patrick Mahomes, not a major one, but kind of saying that, in his opinion, as of right now, Tua Tagovailoa fits what he needs more than Patrick Mahomes did. So that is interesting, in my opinion, because, I mean, we all thought that Patrick Mahomes was exactly what Tyreek Hill needed because Tyreek Hill is Olympic track speed type of wide receiver, and Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball 500 yards and get it right in your bread basket. Now, I know obviously some passes are a little bit wild, and he has to run and get them, but for the most part... I've always kind of knew Patrick Mahomes as being a pretty accurate passer compared to a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. But, I mean, once again, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and that's kind of how Tyreek felt about his former quarterback and current quarterback as of now. But anyway, guys, the next news that I do want to talk about, it is regarding current Los Angeles Chargers owner, Dean Spanos. Now, Dean Spanos, 
not very well liked among Charger fans and San Diego fans, most notably as he decided to make the decision to move from San Diego to Los Angeles, largely due in fact that he didn't want to have to pay all that money to make a new stadium in San Diego. So he's kind of known as a cheap guy and will really take any type of shortcuts he can get. But this past weekend, Dean Spanos was actually sued by his own sister, D. Spanos Barbarian, and she followed this suit last Thursday and as ESPN would go on to report, she was trying to seek, you know, con complete control of the Spanos family trust that consists of more than one third of the Chargers ownership. So that's a huge amount of, you know, financial control she's wanting over the company. And this is largely due in fact to what she has stated as misogynistic and financially ruinous business practices made by Dean. And she also will go on to argue that the Spanos family has no choice but to sell the team in order to pay off all of the debts they currently have. So it's not looking good right now for the Spanos family, but it is looking good for Charger fans as you might finally be getting a new owner and possibly a new owner that will be willing to spend a little bit more money to keep the team intact. Now, the Chargers already had an amazing offseason going out and trading for, you know, Bears All-Pro linebacker and Khalil Mack. You also went out and signed, you know, interception leader and J.C. Jackson, who has had an amazing past couple seasons with the Patriots. And just these little, you know, little key signings that are going to go a long way for the Chargers and, you know, possibly making that Super Bowl-bound leap that they've needed to make for God knows how long, especially on the offensive side of the ball with Justin Herbert, who a lot of people feel is a generational-type talent at the quarterback position. So, Chargers fans, there is hope and more hope than there ever has been. Y'all finally might be getting rid of the Spanos family. But anyway, guys, that is it for today's NFL segment. So even though we are done with today's college football and NFL segment, we still do have some pretty interesting things to talk about. And the first thing that I do want to talk about is the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. That matchup is officially set as the first game will take place on Wednesday, June 15th at 7 p.m. Now, the two teams that will be in this series are and this is I just can't believe the fact that the Tampa Bay Lightning are back in the Stanley Cup Finals for their third consecutive season, you know, winning the Stanley Cup the past two seasons and are looking to win a third straight Stanley Cup title. And then you have the Colorado Avalanche who are back in the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time in two decades. So this will be a very interesting matchup. The Tampa Bay Lightning who are very dominant when it comes to offense and even some defense and I won't lie to y'all I don't watch a you know a lot and a lot of hockey but I know these two teams have been very solid throughout the regular season and this will definitely be a really entertaining Stanley Cup finals to watch I know that I will definitely probably be watching every single game but I look forward to watching game one on Wednesday so make sure y'all are also watching that game as well but anyway, guys, the next news I want to talk about is the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, the Philadelphia Phillies, last week, they fired their manager, Joe Girardi, after having a very bad start to the 2022 campaign. Now, ever since they fired him last week, the Phillies are currently on a nine-game winning streak and are looking to make it 10 as they take on the Arizona Diamondbacks in a series finale on Sunday. Now, I'm making this episode Sunday afternoon, so we will see if they make it 10 games, but it is looking very promising at the fact that they probably will be able to make it 10 games. So I think it's a, I think it's kind of weird because a lot of people are like, okay, if they, if they start winning a lot of games, you know, it's not necessarily the fact that they fired Joe Girardi. It's just the fact they started to play decent, but... It looks like Joe Girardi was the change in the organization that needed to get made as the Phillies are finally kind of getting on, getting on track to where they should have been 
since the start of the season. So the Phillies are currently on a nine-game winning streak and are looking to make it 10. So guys, for our final topic of today's episode, now I normally don't talk too much about college baseball, but the fact that the College World Series is pretty much right upon us, I do want to talk about a very notable upset that we had in the college baseball world as well as some super regional champions and some and obviously teams that are going to make it to Omaha. Now the first thing obviously that I want to talk about is regarding Notre Dame taking on Tennessee in the Knoxville Super Regional. Now the series was tied one to one on Sunday and game three was on Sunday and it was a huge matchup, a game that Tennessee needed to win if they wanted to continue the narrative of being one of the greatest college baseball teams of all time. And after losing uh, the first game of the series on Friday against Notre Dame, Tennessee pretty much had their backs against the wall. So on Saturday, they ended up winning that game 12-4. to And it was looking like Tennessee could probably end up taking this series away. But unfortunately, on Sunday, even though they had a 3-1 to lead you know, through six innings, Notre Dame decided that they were not done. They wanted to be able to compete and end up at Omaha. So after scoring three runs in each the seventh and eighth inning, Notre Dame officially would go on to win the game 7-3 to three over the Tennessee Volunteers. Absolutely shocking the nation as Notre Dame will advance to Omaha for the first time in 20 years, and they will take on whoever wins the North Carolina and East Carolina Super Regional matchup. So Notre Dame fans, you're doing amazing in college football recruiting-wise. College basketball is looking up as well. And college baseball, y'all are making it to almost Omaha for the first time in two decades. Now, Tennessee, they officially finished their season going 57-9. and And actually, Sunday's loss was only their fifth loss of the whole year at home compared to 38 wins that they had at home. So, pretty pretty upsetting for a lot of Tennessee fans because the high hopes they had and how amazing that team was and unfortunately they just came you know just on the doorstep to getting to the college world series but anyways with Notre Dame knocking off Tennessee this now makes it the second team so far that we now know will be making it to Omaha as the other team will be the Texas A&M Aggies now Jim Schlossnagel has completely revamped that whole Aggies team and it hurts to say as a TCU fan, but I'm happy that Jim is still having some decent success, even though it is down in College Station. And AM will be looking to take on their former Big 12 foe in Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma, they beat Virginia Tech 11-2 in Game 3 in the Blacksburg Super Regional to take you know that spot in Omaha. So this will be a very interesting series, in my opinion, to watch between Oklahoma, who kindly, or not kindly, kind of had a late season emergence after starting the season off pretty rough, but just, you know, absolutely balled out in the Big 12 uh, tournament, ended up winning the Big 12 tournament, and they've pretty much dominated throughout the whole NCAA tournament. So anyway, guys, the three teams that we do know so far that have made it to Omaha are Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame. So that will definitely be interesting to see all the matchups that we do get come this final little stretch of Super Regional games tomorrow. But anyway, guys, I hope y'all definitely enjoyed today's episode. I know I enjoyed making it for y'all as always. If y'all also are feeling a little bit generous and, you know, just want to help up your support for the Cover 7 with Mesa Pierce podcast, I highly suggest checking out Anchor.com's monthly supporter system that allows for you just to pay $4.99 a month, but it allows for me to be able to 
better the quality of the podcast, eventually give y'all some exclusive perks, and also be able to give y'all some giveaways for some key milestones that we do reach on the channel. But anyway, guys, I hope y'all have a fantastic start to y'all's week. I hope you have a fantastic Monday. Make sure, you, as always, you accomplish your goals, and I will see y'all back here on Wednesday. Peace.